Gospels, and we hope you do. Uh, Open up to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. And this particular proverb is on how to conduct ourselves. How to conduct ourselves. And here in Proverbs 27, Solomon continues his counsel concerning kings and their subjects that he started back in chapter 25. And in chapter 27, he gives us thoughts on how to conduct ourselves, how we're to behave. So let's begin with verse 1 of Proverbs 27. And it reads, Do not boast about tomorrow, because you do not know what a day may bring forth. And we all know how true this is. And we, we, we say it a lot. And yet, many times we don't live in that way. Not knowing what tomorrow brings. His first bit of advice here is to watch out for procrastination. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. There's a Spanish proverb that says, The road of by and by leads to the house of never. When we say tomorrow or later, it usually means never. Now that doesn't mean that we don't intend to do the thing that we're talking about. It's just that we put it off. We don't do it right away if we do it at all. There's a Chinese proverb that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The English have a proverb that says procrastination is the thief of time. The Apostle Paul said today, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Men, man kind of likes to wait for another time. Now remember, when you say tomorrow, you're, you're using one of the devil's favorite words. And remember, you're playing right into the devil's hands, the devil's plans. Tomorrow is his favorite word because he knows that tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. You know, I just take it for granted I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be another day. But it's like the fool who was rich and had his barns full and he says, yeah, I'm just going to build bigger barns so I can have more room to put more of my riches. And, and, and the Lord said, you fool, this night, your life is going to be taken from you. So again, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Boasting about tomorrow is foolish. Because no one can predict what's going to happen tomorrow. The best thing we can do is just guess. Just guess what might happen in the future. The man who's never been sick a day in his life might be laid up any day. And how many people in the last two years have suffered tremendously as a result of the pandemic? Lost jobs, income, homes, businesses, suffered health issues and loss of loved ones that they would have never, ever dreamed would happen. Most people didn't expect that. Would have never dreamed of something so devastating in our day of modern medicine and technology. 
Our life is dependent on so many different things that we can't see or know about and is affected by so many complicated circumstances that no man can predict the results. I mean, we can't even predict our own behavior. Peter being a good example. Oh, Lord, I will never deny you. You know, how many times have we heard somebody say, I can't believe I did that. That's not me. And I've told people, that is you. You just don't know it. God said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I read that from the, the, the Living Translation, New Living Translation. More than anything else, there's the unsearchable providence of God. Paul said in Romans 8, 33 and 34, and I read it this, in the morning, this morning's study. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways because they're past finding out. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? Who's been His counselor? Who knows the mind of Christ? The reason for Solomon's warning here is that boasting about tomorrow causes us to be careless. Like I said, we take for granted a lot of things. The person who's, who's confident without a guarantee is likely to be caught by surprise. They think everything is okay, everything's going to be the same. So that makes them right for an attack, and our enemy knows this, knows that, knows this. So the danger is even greater because the, the danger is ignored. It's not seen. Again, Peter was so sure of himself that, that he would not deny the Lord that he was weakened by that. And he was caught off guard when, when, you know, and fell into sin, though he had been warned against it. Again, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, even if everybody else deserts you, I never will. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me three times, even that you know me. Peter said, no way. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, never deny you. And we know how the rest of that story goes. Boasting is also a sin. Because it's not just a matter of being careful and being good. It has to do with our relationship with God. You could say that a person that, that boasts about tomorrow is acting like an atheist. Acting like God isn't in control of their life. Or they're being presumptuous, just taking it for granted that God will see my plans through. Somebody said, you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Boasting can bring punishment. Boasting about tomorrow is sure to be punished by failure. It wouldn't be a good thing to let our, our plans go on to be a success. Why? Because it would only confirm <clears throat> and make the evil habit worse. You might experience partial and temporary victory. But ultimate triumph can't be won in this way. God casts down and he humbles the boaster. And then in his shame, he has a chance of learning wisdom. And that is, man, I was totally wrong about what I thought. I was totally wrong about thought I, what I could do. 
Here's Bostein's remedy. Now, this doesn't mean that I can't plant or that I shouldn't make plans for tomorrow. It doesn't mean that I should always be living in fear of bad news. It just means that trusting in God for all things. And remembering what James said, that if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. We can't see or know the future. Again, even tomorrow isn't a sure thing. And because we don't know what it will bring. But God knows perfectly well what happens tomorrow because God knows the future and he controls the future. So we're safe when we trust in the Lord and, and we avoid and when we're avoiding boastfulness. We can learn not to be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because we can trust our Father who knows and controls all the secrets of all tomorrows. They're all in His hand. Look at verse 2 now. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Solomon's talking about here, watch out for pride. Watch out for pride. We have to do the right thing, and in doing the right thing, that might cause people to praise us. You know, Jesus said, you know, let your, lights, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A lot of this, you know, what we're looking now is what we studied this morning with Paul. Our light must shine before men. And we, notice, we must do good works so that they're seen. But we must not do them for the purpose of being seen. Ephesians 2.10, Paul said, For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship means masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good works. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. And when we've done good works, we're not to, you know, bring attention to ourselves. We're not to, you know, toot our own horn, pat ourselves on the back, because that's a sign of pride and self-love. And one of the best examples of humility is John the Baptist. He was the Lord's first cousin. But he never went around bragging about, hey, you know, Jesus is my first cousin. You know, we're, we're, we're tight. He was the last, John the Baptist was the last of Old Testament prophets, and he was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the first to break the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. But he never said anything about that either. Huge crowds, they, they came from all over the country and went out to the wilderness to hear him preach and to hear them, you know, to condemn their sins. John the Baptist was gifted. He was talented. He was uncompromising. He was godly. He could have become the high priest because he was born and bred to the priesthood, but he never mentioned it. Instead, John the Baptist chose, and the thing, key word is he chose to wear a camel hair shirt. He chose to live in the wilderness eating honey and locusts. And John didn't praise himself. He praised Jesus. But Jesus praised him. John said, I must decrease that he, Jesus, must increase. See, John the Baptist knew how to be the number two man. He knew he was, a, he was the number two man. 
And after John the Baptist was killed by Herod, Jesus said this about John the Baptist in Luke 7, 28. I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Can you imagine? No man was ever praised by anyone greater. Verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Solomon here is speaking about beware of a bad temper. Beware of having a bad temper. And verses 3 through 6 here talk about different relationships with people. And the problem of being irritated by a fool is a big one. Solomon says it's heavier than a large stone and more troublesome than sand. So a wise person shouldn't let a fool get to them. Even when the fool's actions and words are irritating. Here's a, here's a, a, a scripture that will help that and help us to understand this. In Psalm 119, 165, the psalmist said, Great peace have those who love your law and nothing, keyword nothing, causes them to stumble. We have no excuse. The psalmist psalmist said, those who love your word will have great peace. And with that grace, nobody can make me to stumble. I allow people to make me stumble. Because I allow them to get to me. Your peace and your joy in the Lord is not dependent on other people's attitude and behavior. And Isaiah said in chapter 26, verse 3, the Lord will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We just need to fix our thoughts on the Lord and His promises and His strength and not fix them on that person that's irritating me or being annoying in my life. Verse 4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? Solomon is warning here, watch out for jealousy. When a person is angry, he can, be, he can be mean to other people. And we've probably seen that. Maybe we've gotten angry and been mean to somebody or somebody else has gotten angry and they've been mean to us. But it's true. What he says or what he does might cause others to be afraid. But jealousy is even worse because it may include anger and cruel revenge. You know, Solomon said here, who is able to stand before jealousy? It's one of the few rhetorical questions in Proverbs. Verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. If a person's love is for real, they won't be afraid to tell his friend about a fault. They won't be afraid to correct them. Rebuking is to be preferred to hidden love. Rebuking is to be preferred to hidden love. That is closed up love, withdrawn love. In other words, correcting a a person's fault, it's a sign of true love. But not correcting him shows one's love is kept silent, is kept to themselves. This verse is one of the 19 better than verses in Proverbs. Verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The idea here that's suggested is seen right away. In other words, it's better to love and really think about the welfare and the interests of another, even if it hurts them, 
rather than just flatter them and say good things and not say anything, rather than not say anything, just to please them and not to rock the boat. You see, a real friend loves you too much to pamper you. Verse 7. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now, Solomon is saying, if a person is full of food, now in Solomon's time, honey, which he would ordinarily crave, is no longer desirable. You know, if he's already full of food. On the other hand, to a hungry person, even something bitter could seem sweet because it satisfies their need for food. So this verse could be teaching that a person's attitude about material possessions is influenced by how much stuff he owns. And those who have a lot, those who, 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 who don't appreciate what they have or a value of gift as much as those who have little. Verse 8. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Now this verse may speak about a person abandoning his responsibilities at home along with their comforts. Just like a bird that wanders from its nest too early or, or they wander too far from their nest, it brings hardship, they bring hardship upon themselves or itself. And so does a young person leaving home too soon. They might find themselves unable to take care of themselves like the prodigal son in Luke 15. Verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. A friend's honest advice is as sweet or pleasant as the fragrance of a perfume and incense, Solomon says. Because honest advice shows that a person really cares. And a true friend's advice helps you. Verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother that's far away. This proverb is intended more to encourage long-term friendship. It's not, it's not putting down family relationships. Again, it's intended to more to encourage those long-term relationships. A real friend is, a, is good for a long time. They're good for generations. And what he's saying here is normally in times of trouble, a brother, a relative of some sort, is helpful. You know, they're usually the first ones that we go to. But if the brother lives far away, a neighbor may be a lot more helpful because they're closer and you can go to them. Again, the importance of, of encouraging good long-term relationships. Verse 11, my son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. Now, this is a cry from a frustrated father, a father who may hold, you know, a, a position, you know, an important position at work. It may be in the church, in the community, and, and they have a good name and they have a name that they want to protect. And if he's a good person with a good reputation when it comes to his character and his ability and his integrity, he personally, okay, is not a target for criticism or attack. But he can be a target to attack from his enemies if his son is foolish or wicked. Because that wicked son will be the, 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 the central focus 
and, and point to the man, to the father. Verse 12. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple passes on the simple pass on and are punished. Solomon warns against failure to read obvious signs, to see the writing on the wall. The simple, the simple here, they can't see the road ahead. Thank God for his word, the Bible. We know what's coming. We know what's coming. We don't know how so much or, or when, but we know what's coming. This world is heading for a crisis. It's heading for great tribulation. And any man is very foolish to think that he can have faith in other men to solve the problems of the world. And that's what this world is looking for now. They're looking for someone or some some political party or some group of, of, of brainiacs to solve the problems of the world. And we don't see that happening. We don't even see it close to being, being happening. The word of God makes it clear that there's trouble ahead. And God's judgment is coming on this old sinful world. That's why we need to be in God's word. Verse 13. Take the garment of him who is, who is surety or security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he is surety or, again, uh, uh, collateral, I should say, for a seductress or an immoral woman. This is a warning against not following common sense. Again, it has to do with, you know, being a co-signer or... or, or, or you know, putting yourself, making yourself responsible for somebody that you don't know that well. Verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. In other words, be careful of this kind of friend. The one who blesses his friend with a loud voice. One who just talks wonderfully about you. Watch out for those who profess their, their, their friendship too loudly and, and, and the, that one that gives you too many compliments watch out for the man or the woman who's praising you more than you should be that's what solomon is warning here be careful with those kind of people a good illustration of, of this what solomon's saying is how absalom remember how absalom won the hearts of the men of israel when he was trying to steal the throne from his father remember what he would do He'd get up early in the morning. He'd go to the city gates where all the men of the town talked and did business and, and, you know, and, and told what was going on. He'd go there. He'd go to the gates of the city and he'd talk to the men who came to the king with a dispute. And he'd tell them, well, you know, my, my, the king, you know, my father... You know, he's too busy to come out and to talk to you, but here I am and I'll be glad to, you know, talk to you and, and you know, and handle your problems and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing. And he just built himself up. He flattered the people. He pretended to love the people. He pretended to care about their problems. He pretended to show how interested he was in their cases. But all the while... All he was really interested in was getting their support when he stole the throne. 
Oh yeah, you know what? David's too busy to talk to me, and you know he's there. I don't, you know, I don't see him. And, and, and well, Absalom, oh he's he was there, you know, and we got to talk to him, and you know he's the man I'm going to vote for. He's the one I want to be king. Solomon's kind of, you know, there, there's always there will always be somebody in the church or, or other places who will tell you what a wonderful person you are. They'll tell you, man, you're the greatest. You know, whatever that might be. You're this and you're that. No, you're just, you're just, oh, I'm just, you know, you're, you're wonderful. Now, don't get me wrong. It's, it's nice to have some encouragement. All right, because you don't often get it. But don't believe everything that you hear because it's not true. I'm not really as great as you say I am kind of a thing. Not that you say that. I'll use that as an example. I didn't want to say you're not really as great as you are as you think you are. So I said, I'll be the one. Anyway, the, the thing is, you know, when people say somebody's great, they're not all that great. There's a modern proverb that says, flattery is like perfume. I like this. The idea is to smell it, not swallow it. And flattery is not communication. Flattery is manipulation. It's to use you. It's to get to you. The man who takes exaggerated compliments at face value is foolish. Verse 15 and 16. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And whoever restrains her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Now, in other words, a man, Solomon says a man might as well try to stop the wind as to try to stop this kind of a woman. And it can be a man as well. But again, remember Solomon had a thousand wives. So he's probably speaking out of his experience. He probably he had to deal with some of those ladies that, you know, um, that were always, you know, trying to be number one in his harem. And, you know, they'd make their case and uh, complain to him about this one and that one. And, and, you know, why am I not number one? So Solomon said, you can't anymore stop her from making her presence known and her temper or her loudness. And you can hide the fact that, you know, he just dipped his hand in a bottle of perfume. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to smell. Her piercing voice, he says, follows from, from, from room to room, and then she goes off to complain to all her neighbors. So again, it can work both ways. But in this case, remember Solomon is speaking about uh, the woman here, and again, most likely somebody that, or more than that, than he had in his, in his harem. Verse 17. As iron, sharp, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now when iron is rubbed... Against another piece of iron, it shapes and it sharpens it. And in the same way, people can help each other improve their discussions, their criticisms, their suggestions and ideas. It's a great, it's a wonderful thing to have a friend you can sharpen your mind with. You can talk about certain things with that person and you can benefit from your talk. Now, it's great to have a friend that you can sit down with and talk with about spiritual things. You always come away refreshed and strengthened. You always learn something, and it's great to have a friend like that whom you can talk to and, again, have, you know, just glean from. Verse 18. Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit. So he who waits on his master will be honored. This speaks of dependability. In other words, you can expect a reward for diligence 
being diligent, and for, you know, competent service. Just like a man who takes care of a fig tree, he can look forward to eating the figs. And a man who serves his employer well, <clears throat> as many of you know who have worked, you know, you, you, you become a good employee, and when review time comes, uh, they get, you get a good re- review, and, and you know what, you, hopefully you'll, you'll get a raise, you get an increase. And so again, this is what, what Solomon is talking about, dependability. A man who serves his employer well can usually look forward to a good reward and, uh, when that time comes. The psalmist said in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, For exaltation, or promotion, comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down, and he puts down one and he exalts another. Verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. Verse 19 literally reads like this. Like water face to face, so is the heart of man to a man. In other words, just as water, like a mirror, reflects a person's face, so a person's heart or mind reflects what they are, what he is, what they're really like. Or as water reflects a face, so thoughts also express through words one's personality. Verse 20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Solomon is saying, making the point here, we're always wanting. We're always wanting. He's saying, he says, you know, hell is always full. Hell and destruction is always full. Because, he says, the grave is never satisfied. It's never full. Just like the human eye never gets tired of seeing things and wanting things, he says, here the eye stands for all the senses and their inability to ever be satisfied. We're always seeing, oh, I want that. Oh, I'd like to have that. Oh, I'd like to get that. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And that's why advertisers are so good at what they do. You know, I like that. And then a few months later, there's something, oh, I want that. And we go out and we get it. We never see enough to be satisfied. We never hear enough to be satisfied. We want to keep hearing. We want to keep seeing. There's no contentment. And, And we're encouraged to be content. Being able to enjoy life comes from within. It has to do with character and not our circumstances. You know, it's the idea of being self-contained, adequate, not, I don't need anything from the outside. I have everything that I need in Christ. He's my source and my resources. The Apostle Paul, who talked about being content, who said, I've, I've learned to be content with little and with a lot, when being hungry or full. Because Paul had everything that he needed, he had all of his resources within. Everything that he needed for facing life courageously and for overcoming difficulties he had within. Verse 21. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is valued by what others say of him. Again, be careful of flattery and praise. Make sure it has the right effect on you. Don't let it go to your head. It says heat will test and refine silver and gold, showing what the metals are really like. Praise tests a person. It tests a person in a similar way in that the reflection, I'm sorry, the reaction to praise shows what they're really like. 
If he gloats over it and he's just, you know, flying high and just, oh, he's just, you know, flattered beyond measure, you know, he shows that he's arrogant. He knows that he's good or thinks that he knows that he's good. But if he accepts the praise modestly, he shows his humility. Verse 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. The process that Solomon is talking about here is a lot more painstaking than ordinary threshing, the mortar and pestle. Uh, The point that Solomon is making here is that no matter what pains you go through to correct a fool, you're just wasting your time. He says a stubborn, self-willed, opinionated, and unprincipled person can't be corrected. A fool remains a fool. Verses 23 and 24. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Now, what Solomon is saying here in verse 24, notice, for rich, I'm sorry, verse 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Flocks of sheep need a lot of care. Now, the following information I'm going to give you or the following description of sheep, it comes from a a successful sheep rancher by the name of Walter Godfrey Bowen. And he wrote this book called Why the Shepherd? And why the shepherd? Because the sheep need a shepherd. And he goes on to explain why they need a shepherd. And it shows you as we being called sheep, why Jesus Christ is our shepherd. This man says about sheep, he says, they go quickly astray. He says they have no way to defend themselves and they're easy prey for their enemies. He says sheep, like no other animal, he says no other animal though, I'm sorry, no other animal is as useful as a sheep. It provides wool, meat, fertilizer, and lanolin, which is Grease that comes from the wool, especially when it's refined, it's used in ointments and cosmetics. And the sheep's wool keeps out extremes of heat and cold. Their their, their wool absorbs moisture without becoming clammy. It breathes and moves with the body that wears it and keeps its shape. He says the tension strength of the wool of the sheep is is very high. And believe it, he says it's more fire resistant than any other fiber. But a sheep needs constant care, he says. It's the only animal that can, that can get lost within the side of its home. He says within its own range, it has adequate skills. He says, but once the sheep wanders beyond that range, it has no sense of direction whatsoever. And it will walk around in circles, often calling continually to express its panic. He goes on to say that a sheep would quickly starve to death or die of thirst if it wasn't for the shepherd. Most animals, he said, can smell water in the wind from far away, but a sheep can't. Remember in Psalm 23, it says that he leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. When that sheep has devoured the grass on its own range where it is, it can't look for new feeding grounds. It will wander around eating stubble even though there may be great pastures just a few miles away. 
That's why the shepherd has to lead him to those green pastures. A sheep left to itself, a domestic sheep, may eat poisonous plants because it can't tell the difference between good plants and harmful ones. Again, a picture of our shepherd teaching us his word to discern from good and evil, to discern from those things that will hurt us. He goes on to say that a sheep can't keep itself clean neither. He says its fleece contains grease and it attracts dirt and seeds and vegetation carried by the wind. A sheep is prey to lice, ticks, and similar pests. He says an infected sheep can't lie still. It constantly rubs itself against anything that it sees and it will even try to eat its own wool to get relief. And he says a sheep is especially prone to infectious diseases that are easily spread. He says sheep are not strong, they're not swift, they're not smart. A sheep is the most defenseless of all the animals. And he says a sheep panics easily. Even though a ram will often try to protect its ewes and lambs, it's no match for a determined predator. He says sheep are weak-spirited. And a sheep is soon demoralized by pain. It won't fight back when it's attacked. And when it's only slightly wounded, it will lie down and want to die. He says if a sheep with a full fleece rolls over on its back in a hollow, it won't make a determined effort to get back on its feet. Remember why David said, why, am I, is my soul ca- why, is, uh, why is my soul cast down? He's talking about the picture of this sheep here. A sheep will look for a hollow in the ground and it will, it will if, it's, if it's got a lot of wool, if it's got a full fleece, it will lie down in that hollow and it can't get back up and it, and it won't make a determination, it won't be determined to get back up. And that's what it means to be cast down. When a sheep was cast down, it was in that hollow and can't get back up. And David said, oh my soul, why are you cast down? I can't get out of this, I can't get up. Again, the sheep won't make a determined effort to get back on its feet. And sometimes when, when we're cast down, when our soul is cast down, it's like we just, we just, we give up. We don't, we're not determined to get back up. And the writer said one thing that really stood out. He said, when you see a sickly, dirty, or endangered sheep, you shouldn't blame the sheep, you should blame the shepherd. He said, you shouldn't say, ah, poor sheep. You should say, ah, poor shepherd. And God made that point. For those shepherds did not take care of his sheep, they would would face the judgment. The condition of the sheep is a reflection on the shepherd. The shepherd's son wrote this, right here in verse 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. And to put your heart into caring for your sheep. Verses 24 through 27 as we close. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Flocks and herds multiply through their offspring. But money, when it's spent, is gone. And being a king, having a crown doesn't last. That's what he's saying here. 
Hay and grass provide food for the farm animals, which in turn supply people's needs for clothing from the lamb's wool, money from selling the goats, and milk and food for one's family and servants. So it's important to care for your resources, Solomon said, to work hard and to recognize God's provisions through nature. So the picture we get from verses 25 through 27 is one of prosperity and peace. There are no internal dangers and no external wars. No no dangers on the inside, none on the outside. This This is a wonderful condition. It existed in Israel during Solomon's reign and it was because of having a king that ruled for the most part like a true shepherd of his people. He was diligent in looking out for the people's welfare and that's what a leader should do. The picture is meant to be a preview of the millennial kingdom of Christ when he reigns for a thousand years. There will be no more war. There will be no natural disasters. There will be no more droughts, no more deserts. The whole world when Jesus comes back, will be a Garden of Eden. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful, again, picture of sheep, God, and how we are so, uh, so well described as sheep, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, God. May he, again, open these scriptures to us. God, may he help us to uh, apply them to our life, God. And Lord, we just... Again, your word is, is, is so awesome, Lord, and we just thank you so much for it, God. May we never get tired of it, and may we never think that we can learn all of it, Lord, and, and, and understand it all, God. In all of eternity, God, we could never, ever get a, a complete grasp of your word, Lord. It is beyond us. It is infinite. It is infinitely wise, and, and you are the all-knowing God. So we thank you, Father. Just pray that you would be with your sheep now. Be with us. Watch over us. Protect us, God. And may we continue to to follow you, God, all the days of our life. Father, we just thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.